Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, костность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец, Сын, Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. твою жало, о ад, где победа твоя? Эхом с голгопы звучало, свершилась, содрогнула земля. Как Бог мог смотреть на страдания? Что сын принимал на кресте, А место вдруг солнце сияние, И тьма отцарилась везде. Он воскрес, он воскрес, Аллилуйя!
жену Два дня, а на третий воскрес Явился своим, утверждая Я жив, я жив, я воскрес Прошло так уж много столетий Yeah. 
So before we continue to study the depths of our inheritance, the unchanging epigraph for our study of these depths is the Gospel of Luke 24:44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so for us as partakers of the body of Christ, to share with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about Him in Scripture, we shall continue our study of our collaboration with the Holy Spirit and what is necessary to be done from our side so we can receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life so we can put on the new way of life. Ephesians 4, 22-24 This is a promise of the end days or the last days, only in the last days before rapture, final days before the rapture of the bride, will this promise be fulfilled. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We've already talked about this, why the church till this time was unable to utilize this promise, and that is because in its its state, they weren't able to uh, reach or obtain this this position or this. This was not given to one individual. This was given to the bride of the Lamb as a whole upon the whole face of the world. And when the church matures, then... Will this promise be fulfilled? We have a surprising 
example, and there are a lot of them, and one of the greatest examples is the pearly gates. And we know that the pearl is the result of the suffering of a mollusk when something ends up inside, either a small pebble or stone. It can't get rid of it, so it starts to produce this pearl that it coats it in. And this was shown, I will, and it was shown to John, I will show you the bride of the Lamb. The angel spoke to John, and he showed him the city of Jerusalem that came down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And we see that this pebble is, this, is our body that is in spirit. The spirit wants to coat it into this pearl. It can't deliver itself from this mortal body, so it begins to coat itself with this pearl. And so this mollusk is this spirit that wants to coat our body. It's not uh, sinful, but it's mortal. And so we are within this body. We suffer because it is not... It does not satisfy uh, the requirements of the Spirit, the glorious Spirit, in its state. And God said, He wrote, that those people that will receive, accept this promise, will put off their former way of life, will renew their mind by the mind of Christ, and will begin to coat themselves, dress themselves. They'll accept this promise, meditate about it, think about it, talk about it. And when they confess it, then these words will begin to coat them, to dress them, and this will happen all over the face of the world, we've approached this moment, and I trust that our, our generation will be a witness of the rapture of the Bride of the Lamb, and the world will see these pearly gates. We know that no one can enter heaven, but only through the church. These are the gates of heaven. No one can for by themselves uh, that has never been. The church is the place from where a person can enter heaven. Not every church. We have today many uh, loud, very noisy churches, or the opposite, the dead mausoleums. But it's not how they behave, but what they confess, what they wait for, what they teach, what their foundation is, is and if, if it does not excel into quality of righteousness. And so to fulfill the command we just read, we need to utilize three charging and fundamental verbs, and these are to put off, be renewed, and put on. And to confirm the given promise, because only by two or three witnesses can any word be confirmed. We elevate in the status of a commandment, this promise elevated into a status of a commandment. We will therefore read another place of scripture, this place written by the same author, in a little bit of a different format, identifies a similar truth, calling us to take off the old man with his deeds so that we can put on the new man. The new man is given the ability to be renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, Colossians 3, 8 through 11. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. To be renewed in knowledge, 
according to the image of him who created him, during this means, during this renewance, uh, process of renewance, they will do not create copies or present just originals. This is what it means because our God has not created a single copy. He created man, and when he created man, he created another human being also from the rib of Adam, and this human being was not the same as Adam. Of course, they are similar, but they are not the same. Every individual person born into this world is a unique original. Millions of people go into this world, and they are different in their stature, in their image. Outwardly, some may be similar, but they're still originals. There's not a single snowflake that is the same as another that had fallen and continued to fall. There's not a single leaf that is identical to another, even on the same uh, tree. It's as if all of them are the same, but every single leaf is unrepeated in its configuration and its inner design. We've noted that your decision regarding these three destiny-impacting questions that is put off, be renewed by uh, the old, uh, put off the old man, sinful way of life, renew our mind and put on the new man, will determine whether you transform yourself into a vessel of mercy or vessel of wrath, or specifically, will we complete our salvation that is given to us in a format of a guarantee, or will we lose it and our names be forever blotted out of the book of life? In a particular format, we have already looked at the first two questions and have been studying the third question. What conditions are we to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we begin the process of dressing ourselves into the power of our new person that is created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth? When speaking about clothing ourselves into the power of our new person that, is, that contains the power of the resurrection of Christ, we've concluded that we need God's help, that is, we need God's mercy. And the means of receiving any kind of help from God, in this case His mercy, is the weaponry of prayer and worship. Only by the means of worship can we confess the faith of our heart and dress ourselves into this new person. Prayer isn't just a man's means of communicating with God, but also a kind of legal and sacral right that a man gives heaven, a tool that activates the given law of God. Man gives heaven this right so that he heaven may intervene upon the earth. One of the prayers of David, written in the 143rd Psalm, accurately revealed the conditions upon which a man is called to form a lawful foundation for God so that God's mercy may intervene into his life as well as intervene within those boundaries the aspects we carry responsibility for before God. This has been the component of our continual study. Psalm 143, 1 through 12. We will read it. We will submerge into the beauty of this place. When it is spoken from the heart, it will be making changes in our life. And so, when I proclaim or read this place, each one repeat it or read it with me as your own confession, as your own prayer. You've heard it enough, and I trust that it has become the faith of your heart. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me. 
and in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul, he has crushed my life to the ground, he has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me, my heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old, I meditate on all your works, I muse on the works of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. Your mercy, cut off my enemies, and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. <clears throat> And so for David to hear the mercy of the Lord early, it was necessary for him to present to God a specific lawful foundation or right. And such evidence in this prayer, as we already know, were ten unique in their nature arguments founded upon the laws of God. These are the words of God that came out of the mouth of God that God had elevated above all his names and to which God willingly submits to. Specifically, these ruling and mighty words of God turned into promises and commandments for man David presented to God as the consistency of his own heart, saying to God, hear me. In your faithfulness and your righteousness, hear me because I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. Hear me because I spread out my hands to you. Hear me, for in you do I trust. Hear me because I lift up my soul to you. Hear me because in you I take shelter. Hear me, for you are my God. Hear me for your namesake. Hear me for your righteousness' sake. And hear me, for I am your servant. In the previous services, we had already studied the nature of the first argument that abided in David's heart. This was evidence that faithfulness and righteousness abided in David's heart. This served as legal foundation for God, giving God the ability to hear David and to stand on the side of David in his oppositions against his enemies. And stop to study the second argument. This is evidence that in the heart of David there were memories of the days of old and all of the deeds that God had done in those days, proclaimed and presented by him in prayer. This form of evidence is the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, which is a unique and continual remembrance or continual memorial before God, containing the component of continual prayer. And we know the breastplate of judgment was created for one purpose and served one purpose, unique item, the urim and the thummim in the heart of a man, the existence of which allowed God to hear man and man to hear God. Therefore, to be heard by God in the revelations of his Urim, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, it is necessary to keep within your mind the works of God, his Thummim, that God had done in the days of old. And so this is the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. 
And so this you need to keep in your mind because God had already done these in the days of old. The breastplate of judgment as an item of continual remembrance before God is a sacral symbol of the format of continual prayer, providing God a foundation to fulfill his will upon planet Earth. Prayer that is not in accordance to the requirements and characteristics of the breastplate of judgment does not have the right to be called prayer. This prayer with the prayer that is not in accordance to the breastplate of judgment, we will not be able to put off our old man, renew our mind, or put on the new man, because only the format of continuous prayer presented in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest gives us the right to come before God and to enter the holy place as kings and priests of God, to be intercessors pursuing the interests of his will. The thing is, this is the will of God, that we put off our old man, renewed our mind, and put on the new man. This is God's will. And here's how Apostle Paul presents the nature of the breastplate of judgment, symbolizing continual prayer in his books. Colossians 4.2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And when it's talking about continuing, when a person begins to uh, begins to understand this as, as a physical thing, you can't pray 24 hours a day. Uh, but it says continue earnestly. What it means is not just stand on your knees or communicate with God, but the state. Okay, the state of your heart needs to be continual where God can speak to your heart at any time and you will hear him. And a continual state, whatever you may do, you have, you, whatever you may be doing, you at the same time communicate with God. We can communicate with our wife, with our husband, with our children, and at the same time, in our mind, communicate with God. That our mind is a secret room where we communicate with God and no one hears us. The devil can't enter in there or hear it, and, and he won't know anything. He deceives men that he is able to read the mind of man or the thoughts of man. No one can read the thoughts of man. People that are led by satanic spirits, hypnotizers, and so forth, they don't read the thoughts of man. They try to uh, pretty much convince a person that those are his thoughts. These are ideas they had pretty much convinced a person of. The thoughts of a person can only be read by God and no one else. And so we need to perfectly understand that the devil does not hear your thoughts. And so you can play as cat and mouse, where you will be the cat, he'll be the mouse. I mean, symbolically, of course. There was one woman who was praying, Lord, you see that the devil is chasing me as a, a cat chases a mouse. If you remember the people or the spies that were sent into the Canaanite land to be able to observe it and see what was there, and they came back saying that 
uh, we were as locusts uh, compared to the giants within that land. And Joshua and Caleb said they were locusts in our eyes. So the difference of what happens when you have the state of a, of a, of a warrior in prayer. When you have the state of, a, of prayer, uh, then God lives in you, the God that created the earth and the heavens that can destroy everything that exists within an instant. That's the kind of power in you. And when you are within that state, then hell is afraid wherever you appear because if you can imagine what it is when such power is present. In vision, I once was able to experience the earth was for me as a small little ball that I was able to play with. The prayer power was so great. I mean, I was in a state of prayer and I never would be able to experience something like that physically, but in the vision, I was able to experience that kind of thing. It says continue earnestly in prayer. This is the state of your heart where between you and God there is no barrier. That is sin or some kind of blemish, something else that may be in the way. Continuing earnestly in prayer identifies a joyously burning lamp, identifying the condition of the righteous heart of a man. Proverbs 13.9, the light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. And so the built order of the breastplate of judgment identifies the demands of spirit and truth. That's a true worshippers of God, whom God seeks, need to be in accordance to and need to possess. John 4, 23, 24, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. When you begin to worship in spirit and in truth, then you will never have depression because worshiping in spirit and in truth is such power, is such uh, trembling, is such joy, that even if all hell confronts you, you will just squish it under your foot. Or as you would step on a ant that would be in the street. That's literally how it would be. That's what it means that God the state of, uh, of prayer within your heart. Breaking or interfering the order of the building of the breastplate of judgment, identifying the state and nature of a worshiper of God, the breastplate of judgment loses its nature and its purpose. Worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth, as we know, includes not peddling with the truth when pursuing the goals that God has placed in Scripture, as people have done in all times and many do today, because of their stiff neck and to benefit their greed and their hypocrisy. 2 Corinthians 2.17, For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. In the Septuagint, that is our translation, the breastplate of judgment is called the sign of justice, as by the means of the Urim and the Thummim that is contained in the breastplate of judgment, God revealed to man his judgments. The breastplate of judgment is identified as the conscience of a man, purified from dead works, upon the tablets of whom, just as a sign at the teaching of Jesus Christ, is imprinted that came in the flesh. 
Therefore, the conscience that is purified of dead works with imprinted faithfulness and righteousness upon its tablets is called to give God the right to function in them and through them upon planet Earth. In a specific format, we have already studied the measurements and the nature of materials from which the breastplate of judgment is supposed to be built, that we need to be in accordance to within our spirit and stop to study the next requirements, which state Exodus 20, 17 through 21. And you shall put settings of stones in it, into this breastplate of judgment. It was squared in shape. And you shall put settings of stone in it, four rows of stones. And so square is considered a perfect form. The temple, it was not a, a perfect square. The perfect Jerusalem was shown as a cube, and there was a circle as God in it, and, and the circle is present, meaning that God is in it, and it was in God, uh, pretty much speaking of eternity, that it is eternally in God and God in it, eternally. <clears throat> And so the breastplate of judgment was square in shape. And you shall put four rows of stones, first row sardius, topaz, and emerald, second row turquoise, sapphire, and diamond, third row jacinth, agate, and amethyst, and fourth row beryl, onyx, and jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engraving of a signet, each one with its own name, they shall be according to the twelve tribes. We note that the twelve golden settings is the authority, rule, and order of God contained in the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. We, as worshippers of God, are called to present this in our continual prayer because the twelve precious stones with engraved upon them as a sign it names of the sons of Israel is the symbol and format of our continual prayer presenting the perfect judgments of God. From this we can see that it wasn't the golden settings being the truth of the word of God that were adjusted in measurement and configuration to fit the precious stones, but the precious stones themselves, being our prayers, are the ones that were adjusted and configured to fit the golden settings of truth. When we ask what is according to his will, and to ask what's, what is according to his will, you need to uh, adjust your prayer that it be in accordance to his will. Continual prayer in the twelve precious stones of the breastplate of judgment with the twelve names is a persisting prayer that in its intercession presents the interests of the will of God and does not sway away or step away from the goal until what is asked for is received. I will not go away until I receive. That means I will continually hold this will of God in my prayers or continue to pursue it until God dresses me into this pearl, into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I will not give up. I will continue to proclaim the not existent as existent. The not existent within this temporary time, but in me it is already existing. It exists in my spirit. Yeah, of course, no one sees it outwardly, but they will soon see it. And when they see it, then the whole world will become surprised. Even kings will see things that they've never seen. They will become surprised. How these people that about whom it is written, brothers, look at who they are, the few. Did God not choose the poor in the world to be rich in faith and 
heirs of the kingdom of heaven, and he chose these people to shame the intellectual and all-knowing. For those uh, that rely upon their intellect, it's difficult to come to God because they say, I have my own mind. They, with their own mind, are not able to stand in the midst of the righteous whose head is working for something else. The holy people know that they communicate with God with their heart and not with their mind. Their mind is submitted to the heart. That's how you, that's renewing your mind. And when people don't know this, they begin to uh, pride themselves uh, on the kind of intellect they have and they come to the church as inspectors to see what is right or judge what is right and what is not right as if they have uh, the, uh, the quality or the level of a, a doctorate in theology, and even if they did, um, of, often they are very unfortunate people because they can't judge correctly. We don't see in the Bible anywhere doctorates of theology. We see a people whom the mercy of God is upon and the revelation of God, the Urim and the Thummim is upon them. And this can be a person that has never finished any the, uh, institute of theology and has now other specific education. You see how the disciples were surprised. They were people, uh, they weren't specifically uh, people that uh, were well educated but they their uh, wisdom and their words often uh, excelled that of those who had finished specific educational institutes and so forth and if you remember Stephen when he spoke this wisdom he was stoned we know that Jesus does not stand he sits in the midst of the father but when he saw Stephen he, he rose up <clears throat> and so the building of the breastplate of judgment within our heart is revealed as building the kingdom of heaven in the image of the tree of life that was shown to John upon the island Patmos, the tree that bears fruit each month for 12 months. And growing the tree of life within your heart is building yourself up into a new person, created in accordance to God in righteousness and holy truth, into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. With this, we will remember that all of the beauty and order of the temple was built for one holy item and for the service of that one holy item. This was the golden ark of the covenant. The same thing with the ephod of the high priest with the headpiece and the connected to it breastplate of judgment was created for and served only one holy item. This item very accurately was called to duplicate and fulfill the function of the golden ark of the covenant. This was the urim and the thummim. Because the golden ark of the covenant as well as the breastplate of judgment symbolize from different angles and with various purposes the conscience of a man cleansed from dead works. For example, you couldn't take with you the temple and go to battle, but you could take the ephod of the high priest with you if you are a high priest. 
when people went to, to, uh, went to battle kings, the priest took the ephod with him. And when he needed to come to God and ask something of God, he would put on this ephod and come to God. If you remember David, he didn't carry the temple with him. He was God's temple himself and he carried with him the ephod. This talks of the fact that he had the virtue of a high priest. Because when he needed to ask God anything, he said, bring me the ephod. He would put on the ephod of the high priest and would uh, ask, ask of God, will I, uh, if I go and I fight, will I win? God said, yes, you will go and you will win. And nobody debated the, the, this uh, position of a high priest in David, although he was from the tribe of Judah. This was a unique example where a person that was not from the line of Levi was a high priest, was a prophet, was a king, was a com composer, was a poet, was a singer and a diplomat all at the same time, a warrior in prayer, a mediator, the sweet musician of Israel. There was not a better voice in Israel. The beauty of his voice physically uh, scared hell. The Urim and the Thummim in Hebrew means light and perfection, light and the right, or revelation and truth. For example, the Ten Commandments inside the Ark of the Covenant is the truth. And this truth upon the breastplate of judgment is the thummim, the revelation that a person could receive at the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, also called the mercy seat, in the Urim is the breastplate of judgment. Therefore, only a person who has a conscience cleansed from dead works or who has a wise heart upon the tablets of whom the truth in the form of the thummim is imprinted can be a worshiper of God. The revelation of God by the means of his urim can function only within the boundaries of truth. This truth within the heart of a person is the thummim, the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. As it is written in Exodus 31, 6, I have put wisdom in the heart of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. Again, I repeat, God will never place his wisdom, his urim, into a foolish heart. A heart where there's no teaching of Christ that came in the flesh is a foolish heart. God will not be placing uh, the revelation of the Holy Spirit or send the Holy Spirit there. The friendship of the Thummim and Urim in the heart of a person, the teaching of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that will reveal that teaching of Christ in the heart of a person is a unification of two formats of wisdom which state that the carriers of the Thummim and the Urim are true worshippers of God and what is most amazing, they possess the immune system of the Holy Spirit. This is what it says of it in the name of Levi. Each patriarch, or the name of each patriarch that is written upon these precious stones or carved upon these precious stones identify a specific name of God and our destiny. And our destiny in the name of Levi, and the name of Levi is binded to God. And of Levi he said, Let your Thummim and your Urim be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Massa and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who saved his father and mother. I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children, for they have observed your work, word and kept your covenant. 
they, they died for their nation, their house, and their corrupt desires. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the works of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him, that they rise not again. Deuteronomy 33, 8-11. When this prophecy was spoken by Moses, God in this way confirmed this promise and now it is in power. And now every person that criti criticizes or points his finger and criticizes carriers of the Urim and the Thummim is the same uh, or equal to him doing this to the Holy Spirit and he will not have forgiveness because carriers of Urim and the Thummim are not able to defend themselves just as the Holy Spirit he has a <coughs> power uh, to destroy all or recreate all things. The word of God was spoken to, uh, towards him or to him, uh, let there be light, but he is not able to defend himself. He, he does not have this function. The Father and the Son defend him. So Jesus said, if anyone says anything against or blasphemy against the Father or the Son, it will be forgiven him, but if anyone blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. And so these people who carry the arm and the thumb are not able to defend themselves. They are representatives and it is confirmed the promise for them. God protects them. And it, it is unfortunate for those who uh, for those who do point their finger at the anointed of God. In a specific format, we have already looked at five qualities of a warrior in prayer in the first five precious stones of the breastplate of judgment by which God was able to continuously reveal his will upon planet Earth and stop to study the sixth quality and the precious diamond stone. We know now that the sixth name carved upon the precious stone of the breastplate of judgment upon the tablets of our heart in the name of, is the name of the sixth son of Jacob, Naphtali, which means wrestler one who prevails in prayer and prevails over the powers of hell in pursuing the will of God. Genesis 37, 8, and Rachel, Rachel's maid Bila conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed, so she called his name Naphtali. We know the name of God presented in the precious diamond stone, according to the Jewish rabbinate, is El Hai, which, when translated, means God is alive. Therefore, according, or as we in our Bibles, is God is living or God is alive. Therefore, according to the definition of the name Naphtali upon the precious diamond stone, we can conclude that the function of the sixth principle as a format of continual prayer is our right and our ability to allow the Holy Spirit to abide with us in our prayer battles against the powers of hell, which confront us when we fulfill the will of God by the name of the living God. But the Lord is the true God, he is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation, Jeremiah 10.10. 10. The name of the living God is the format of an oath and the category of the nation that had not learned to swear by the name of the living God or swore falsely were utterly destroyed.
Jeremiah 12:16-17, And it shall be, if they will learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, that they shall be established in the midst of my people. But if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, says the Lord. Therefore, to not be plucked up and destroyed by the wrath of the living God, it is necessary to learn the ways of the nation of God, to swear by the name of God El High or by the living God. And those ways are the paths of the commandments and statutes of God. <clears throat> the condition that gives us the right to learn the ways or paths of God's commandments and statutes, to swear by the name of the living God, is the thirst to know them. Psalm 119, 32 through 35. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. When my heart will begin to yield fruit, only then will I run the course of your commandments. Because this word, you shall enlarge my heart, in Hebrew, when my heart will be overfilled with fruit. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. We know that the name of God as the living God in Hebrew means one who is abiding, one who is, with unconditional authority, one who defines a genesis, creates a genesis, holds a genesis, keeps a genesis, and rules over the genesis, and also commander and lord of the genesis. Deuteronomy 10, 20, and 21, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oath in his name. When we say, the Lord lives before whom I stand, until I am dressed into that promise, I will not step away, I will hold it in my heart, I will sing about it, I will tell others about it. This is what it means to swear by the name of the living God. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. The result of swearing by the name of the living God was always the fulfillment of the promise of God for the sake of which the oath was made. The power of a warrior in prayer containing, containing the virtue of the name of the living God is called to present the unlimited power of God over the Genesis and the allotted by him for us time and boundaries. Therefore, it is necessary for us to determine what goal God has in his intentions when he urges and calls his children to become warriors in prayer. And in what way and upon what conditions is God able to and desires to give man the right to become a warrior in prayer, so that man, man may present the interests of God and implement or actualize his inheritance in God. Per the definitions provided in Scripture, to be a warrior in prayer is the lawful and privileged inheritance of holy men of all times. This is their primary or first most purpose that is revealed in their calling to trample upon uncleanness and the unclean in their prayer battles. This is one of the greatest positions that is gifted by God to man, in which a person becomes a king and a priest to God and is seen by God as a brilliant stone or the diamond stone with the name of Naphtali. Not being a king and a priest to God in the virtue of which a person receives the unique ability and right to reign with his informational organ over his emotional organ, it is impossible to be or remain a warrior in prayer. We know that for the most part people are led by their emotions or their feelings. I feel 
And their faith is also their feelings. But we know faith is not feelings. It's information that comes from God. Faith, faith is from hearing the word of God. It's information and not feelings. The information organ is called to reign over the emotional aspect of the soul. This is the renewed mind of man, renewed by the mind of Christ. The prayer of a warrior in prayer is a sacral or holy mystery that has an unearthly genesis. By its nature, the genesis of prayer as well as the genesis of God does not have a beginning and does not have an end. Prayer is the language of God, identifying the essence of God, the word of God, and the genesis of God. Prayer, has, prayer identifies the genesis of God, the language of prayer. Prayer has always been the mystery of God. It has always existed in His presence as His golden scepter of favor. This prayer in the 12 precious stones, in the 12 settings, uh, settings that were on the breastplate of judgment. And God, God stretches forth His scepter to the one who seeks His face and performs His will. If, however, anyone dares come to Him upon His own conditions, not being called into his presence, then God's golden scepter of favor will not be stretched out to the one asking. This will result in the prayer of this person being unheard by God. As it is written, John 9:31. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Why do you take my words into your mouth, but you cast them behind you? In other words, you place burdens upon men that are impossible to carry, but you yourself will not carry them. There are a lot of these unfortunate shepherds today that call themselves Episcopals, pastors, and so forth that present the church such requirements that they themselves are not even willing to lift their finger to do. And it will be very difficult for these people in hell. They will suffer greatly worse than any other people. These people, these unfortunate pastors, they themselves cannot come to God and do not let others go either. The right to come close to and stand before God in prayer is the exclusive prerogative of God. No one will be able to or will dare by themselves to come close to, to or approach God, the God that desires to abide in darkness or in mystery or in the unapproachable light. Jeremiah 30, 21, 22. Their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledges his heart to approach me, says the Lord, you shall be my people, and I will be your God. In other words, only when this governor shall come from their midst, only he alone can approach God, only then will you be my people, and I will be your God. And so being in God's presence is the task of one governor that will come from the nation seed of Abraham. This is the only begotten Son of God in the status of the Son of Man, in whom and by whom anyone born from God and seeking God would be able to approach and enter God's presence. According to the revelations written in Scripture, our prayer in the quality of a warrior in prayer identified by the virtue of the brilliant stone needs to be first continual, then persistent, next diligent, with boldness, with reverence, with, faith, with the faith of your heart, with thanksgiving, with joy in the fear of the Lord and in the Holy Spirit, or praying in tongues. In the previous services, we've looked at the first seven signs, which identify the state 
of the heart of a warrior in prayer as well as the quality of his prayer. Therefore, we'll immediately turn to the eighth sign. This is a prayer which is garmented into the unearthly or upright joy. But first, I will once again present the antonyms or opposite qualities of prayer which have been the component of our study because understanding the background of the antonym of each quality, we more clearly will understand the quality and character contained in true prayer. So the antonym of continual is unfaithful or not continuing. Antonym of persistent is resistant. Antonym of diligent is lazy. Antonym of boldness is audacity. Antonym of reverence is neglect or hatred. Antonym of the faith of God is unbelief or resisting the faith of God. The antonym of thanksgiving is unthankful and a hard heart. And the antonym of joy is sorrow and discouragement. As it is written, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Proverbs 17.22. A merry heart pretty much uh, opens up within the within the body of a person a covered potential of self-recovery of cells. Those who study these things have made these conclusions. A merry heart does good, like medicine. It shall heal you from all nature of sickness. If in your prayer you'll have the presence of joy, then you will not need to even ask for healing. It will begin to happen at the time of your prayer. That will be done in joy. To determine the essence of unearthly joy as well as the conditions that we are required to fulfill so that we can grow and express the virtue of joy in our prayer, it is necessary for us to highlight the following, defining the essence and purpose of the fruit of joy in prayer, the price of obtaining and expressing the fruit of joy, keeping and developing the fruit of joy, the fruits and rewards of expressing upright joy in prayer. Looking at the first question, with what measuring instruments can we determine the spring of unearthly joy, what qualities does the unearthly joy have, and what purpose is covered in the wellspring from which this unearthly joy flows. We've came, come to the conclusion that in scripture, the quality or character that is included in the word joy, as with the previous qualities, is prescribed in prayer as a commandment, a decree, a order, as an urgent military command that is to be fulfilled without deviation. If this order is not fulfilled, the verdict is death, or a final split of, or break of your relationship contained in the covenant you made with God. Apostle Jude concluded his book, his short book to the Church of Christ and gave a quality of joy, a rank of, of integral part of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and presenting you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, Jude 1.24. Looking at the above statement, we can conclude that from one end, blemish or fault in your joy is an absence of a foundation keeping us from stumbling into perdition to present us before the glory of God. Secondly, the glory of God abides in the atmosphere of exceeding joy and is an expression of exceeding or upright joy. And so if we don't have joy, we don't have the glory of God. Blemishes or faults in joy 
Embodying or personifying the glory of God is a stained flaw, a presence of impurity, abomination, and deceit. A person not able to get rid of such blemishes in joy, as well as in other of his characteristics, will not be allowed in heaven, as it is written. But there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, Revelation 21:27. And so all those who have depression, listen to me very closely. This is your decision to, ha to have it or not. You've made a decision to have it. I have a depression. I have depression. Why do you have depression? A daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That eternal glory belongs to. Why do you have this depression? My husband left me. What, did God leave you? Whatever may happen to you in this world, you may lose all things in this world, but if you don't lose God, then you will rejoice. You will not have depression. The word depression is something new. It didn't exist. There was not even such a, say, a diagnosis even in, in medicine. People... Uh, overcame wars and no one had depression. They go to the psychologist today, they take pills that make them addicted to, to these pills, this, these narcotics and these antidepressants. The best antidepressant is this upright joy. If you have it, you will be the happiest person on the earth. Therefore, our present and our future will depend on the presence of the virtue of upright joy in our prayers or in our service to God, which we will be studying. Deuteronomy 28, 47-48, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of your heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything. He will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Deuteronomy 28, 47-48, If you remember in the Macedonian churches, they, <clears throat> he was speaking of them, Apostle Paul. In their great poverty, they were so generous with everything they had. Then they had an unusual materialistic crisis going on, and they were so joyful and were so. Uh, which shared everything they had that it surprised the apostles. Determining the wellspring of unearthly or upright joy and the existence in this joy natural qualities we've come to come to the conclusion that determining the essence and purpose of upright joy in prayer will be the direct result of the fact that this kind of joy can only come from the from an upright person people who have the state of upright uprightness who express the state of, of its uprightness if the atmosphere of upright joy will abide within our heart then our prayer will express the quality of this joy we need to differentiate earthly or regular joy from from joy that has supernatural that is supernatural, that has its distinctive roots in God, distinctive wellspring in God, and distinctive genesis in God. By themselves, the two types of joy are two programs that come from different natures of springs that exist in two different realms. And since the heart of a man is a programmable system, the nature of joy to which man gives his consideration dresses him and rules in his essence. And if we will give consideration to earthly joy, then from one side will be the means we measure our relationship with God, and from the other side will be suppressing and oppressing unearthly joy. 
If we will consider the joy that comes from above, then it also will be means by which we measure our relationship with God. However, unlike worldly joy, oppressing joy that comes from above, unearthly joy or joy that comes from above will not oppress or suppress worldly joy, but the opposite will dress it into its virtue. It will not suppress the body does not oppress is not oppressed by the by the and so we need to understand that this our body is a is a temple of the living God and we made when we made a covenant with God we st our body stopped being our own they are now God's belonging why is it does he cover this body or coat this body into this pearl so that in its time it could be garmented into immortality and so unearthly joy does not suppress earthly joy it actually garments it into its virtue will control and balance its development so that upon its specific conditions it can utilize it to worship God. For example, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons and subject are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, and he said that Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He redirects uh, this earthly joy or the, the, the focus of it so that they rejoice not in that, but that their names are written in heaven. If you paid attention, Jesus did not begin to suppress and oppress the worldly joy of his disciples, but just changed the goals or redirected the direction of their joy so that gold that is the object of true upright joy their names are written in the book of life due to its supernaturalism unearthly joy is not able to be experienced or felt on the level of our physical abilities unlike worldly joy it isn't emotion or some kind of feeling that lifts our mood Again, I will note that supernatural joy is a specific discipline of the mind and heart which creates peace in the heart of a man as well as balances, controls, and leads our feelings. Therefore, upright joy prescribed in the aromatic spices of prayer is one of the unearthly qualities and names of God himself and further the children that are born from him. One of the names of God is joy. <clears throat> and his children born from him can receive the quality of joy in no other way but in, se in the seed of the word of grace in the Holy Spirit when he becomes the Lord and master of their life and only after be grown and enabled by the means of the discipline of the will, mind and heart directed to continually abide in the word of God and in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, supernatural joy in its genesis as well as its expression is stable, continual, unchanging, and absolutely does not depend from worldly circumstances or satisfying worldly desires. That in, I shall read 2 Corinthians 8, 2, that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. And so, when we lose something in the world, then you clearly 
began to see the priorities of a person. And so the deeper our affliction, the greater our joy. But the deeper our affliction, we don't feel the grace of God, but depression and then run to psychologists. In chapter higher, Apostle Paul testifies of the same and of, his, of himself regarding unearthly joy. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulations. 2 Corinthians 7.4 during affliction, Apostle Paul also had exceeding joy. Regarding his testimony, it becomes clear that being filled with exceeding joy, which is a comfort, does not in any way depend from and is in no way linked to losses and sufferings on earth or even obtaining anything on earth. For example, identifying earthly joy and earthly gladness, the scriptures say that the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment, Job 25. Even in laughter the heart may sorrow and the end of mirth may be grief, Proverbs 14:13. In regards to men with unclean hearts and hands that filled the church back then, as well as today, Apostle Paul states, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom, James 4.9. I want. I recently had spoken of this or told you the story. When we came to America, we never we never had seen uh, uh, jumping Christians or uh, in the churches. People uh, were talked about what enlightenment and power uh, they felt, and I came to those places and I didn't know why I didn't feel anything. And when the pastor started preaching, this was a young, healthy American man. He cast his feet up and started chewing gum and then fell asleep. And I thought, oh, wow. And he started uh, snoring. And I see there's something wrong here. This is not, uh, this is a counterfeit of God's presence. This is not the true presence of God. They just come to dance in the church to just uh, be entertained. But this is a house of prayer. This is a house of prayer. This, things like that should not be happening. There needs to be great reverence and respect. Because if the Lord is present and you allow yourself to behave that way, and truly if the Lord is there, you will be destroyed there. And if he will not be there, then he will come and cast them out as Jesus came into the temple and started to drive out all those who were selling and buying in the temple. Others probably looked at him and thought, what is he doing? Imagine the picture that they saw. He comes into the temple, starts throwing over the tables and uh, begins to beat people out of the temple. And he said, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And so we need to make, make it that this place of worship be a place of worship and not a place where we come to eat and drink and eat pizza. I asked one gentleman, why did you go to the other church? Well, they eat pizza after church. And I said, you know, in hell, they can also eat, uh, give you pizza, but it will be a fire. It won't be... And you'll say, at least if you could dip your finger uh, into the water and put it towards my tongue, but it'll be too late at the time. 
Радости, it means that for giving preference to worldly joy over joy that comes from above and trust upon worldly joy that people prefer over joy that is supernatural, God will bring man to judgment. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the day of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Ecclesiastes 11.9 Turning our attention to the unique wisdom of Scripture in defining unearthly joy, we've decided to look at the virtues of upright joy only within the heart of a man, born from the imperishable seed of the word of truth abiding within Christ. And so in the circle, if you, if you remember as he drew the circle, that he's in God's eternal circle. And when God places something in the circle, that means he placed this person into Christ. Understandably, the first spring of upright joy is God himself because specifically, specifically God, by his eternal and unchanging nature, is the God of joy and gladness. Consequently, it is God who is the example and criteria identifying the quality and nature of upright joy because this overwhelming joy joy is not only the quality and atmosphere in which God abides, but also one of his glorious names with, with which he celebrates and triumphs over his enemies. In the previous service, we in a specific format already looked at seven signs identifying the spring and quality of upright overwhelming joy inherent to continual prayer therefore we'll immediately begin studying the eighth sign identifying this overwhelming joy in the heart of a warrior in prayer. What can also serve for us as joy. The eighth sign identifying within our heart the wellspring of unchanging joy is the comfort of the Lord that a person can obtain only within the saving justification of Christ by the preached word spoken by God's delegated one. Isaiah 52, 7-9 How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, you see, joy can come to us by the one, the one who preaches good news. There's no other way. You can receive the seed of upright joy from the one that preaches good news. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. We know mountains are the holy people or his church who proclaim peace, who brings glad tidings of good things who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. He proclaims peace, he brings good tidings, proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices, with their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, your waste places of Jerusalem for the Lord has comforted his people he has redeemed Jerusalem <clears throat> God had grounds and reasons for why he left Zion and grounds and reasons for why he again returned to Zion and this reason is in us this reason consists in our worship that stopped satisfying the requirements of the breastplate of judgment therefore God left us 
But when we've performed sanctification and sanctified ourselves, our worship again begins to satisfy the requirement of the breastplate of judgment. This provides God grounds or a foundation to return and comfort Zion. If within our heart, by the means of the preached word, the ruins or wreckage of Jerusalem is not being restored and reconstructed, mind that this is the restoration of our worship, then this means only one thing. That we as children of God, if these ruins are not being restored, our worship is not being restored, then this means only one thing, that we as children of God are not where we need to be and are not doing what we need to be doing. Looking deeper into the essence of this allegory, we conclude that beauty of the feet of him who brings good news consists in his feet following the direction of the confessions of the faith of his heart, or the direction of the revelations of the urim received by him in his heart. It's interesting. We'll talk about the feet of the one who brings good news. This is a very interesting uh, example presented to us. The reason the Holy Spirit receives grounds and the ability to open within the heart of the one who brings good news, the will of the Heavenly Father, consists in the fact that in the heart of the one who brings good news, there is a presence of truth in the format of the Thummim. This Thummim is the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. Practically, so that our prayer satisfy the requirements of the breastplate of judgment and in this situation be dressed into upright joy, when talking about the feet of the one who brings good news, we are presented with a shepherd, the voice of whom we need to follow to have upright joy. Therefore, the word beautiful in regards to the feet of the one who brings good news, identifying the confessions of the faith of his heart, in Hebrew means the definitions of beautiful are the feet of the one who brings these, this good news, reasonable or prudent, restrained, sober, chaste, sensible acceptable or pleasing God, fitting for God, prepared to hallow God, directed or aimed towards the goals of God, honoring God with holy things, presenting the interests of eternal life, benefiting and bringing joy to God's heart, providing God peace. This is what it means, this character that is in the shepherd. Further, we need to pay attention to the seven unique qualities that God will differentiate the feet of the one who brings this good news. You know that your shoes having uh, being on your feet is being a light to the world, and so feet are a light to the world. These are symbolically the mouth, but... Uh, but it's shown here symbolically as feet because feet are your direction, the confessions. And these are the ones, these qualities we will pay attention to where God will reveal his will in the teaching of Christ to bring the chosen by him remainder to perfection. And so that we can differentiate the feet of the one who preaches good news from the feet of another person who was voted for in a democratic manner or who has placed himself. Charismats don't like to vote, they place themselves. As Na 
uh, Napoleon did uh, when he, he just took the crown of the Pope and put it on himself. They also don't, uh, they don't in the charismatic churches, they also don't vote. They just uh, place themselves, delegate themselves. God has sent me, God has revealed to me. And the scriptures say, when you hear this, God has revealed to them. Don't follow after them and don't go there. God doesn't place people in this way. He places people by other people whom he has placed. Not by them at the form of a vote, but being anointed by another who he had anointed. And so these seven, again, unique qualities uh, that identify the beauty of the feet of the one who preaches good news or brings good news. This person needs to proclaim peace, bring glad tidings of good things, proclaim salvation, speak of the reign of God, he shall lift up his voice, sing together with their voices, will altogether be comforted. These are the seven directions, seven quality, qualities, characteristics of a pastor of a church. If your pastor is not like this, then you need to leave such a church. If he does not possess these characteristics, then God did not send him. A person that God sends will have these seven characteristics. He will know what he needs to say and he will be filled with it. He'll be overfilled with this word of God and joy, the boldness to speak it. Because with their eyes they will see that God is returning his people to Zion. With this we need to make the conclusion that the good news of the one that God ascends and the qualities of the person who preaches this good news will be in complete balance within this person and will support one the other and confirm the truthfulness of one the other. The first component identifying the beauty of the feet of this person that is sent by God is proclaiming the promise of peace that can only be obtained by the righteousness of faith and being dressed into the virtue of a student. If we are not a student, we will not be able to, by the preached word, of the delegated of God, the peace that he proclaims, accept this peace. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4.13. A student is already the work of righteousness. When a person becomes a student, he becomes begins to learn that this is the work of God, this is the work of righteousness. Uh, when he's learning. Here's what it means to proclaim peace in Hebrew. Call to peace, proclaim your welfare, announce your well-being, to hear healing, to listen to safety, be called to well-being, and attend to friendship. Luke 2, 8 through 14. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields. Here it's talking about the shepherds, and the shepherds are symbolized. So this shepherd is the one that God sends. Keeping watch over their flock by night, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. 
For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Luke 2, 8-14. Therefore, if you paid attention, the symbol of the shepherds that were keeping watch in the night are symbolized this uh, beauty of the feet of the one who brings good news. This is God's delegated one whom he has placed to attend his chosen remainder. And he carries responsibility for this remainder for this flock. And only afterwards, the delegated of God in the heart of whom the peace of God reigns or they are carriers of God's peace. They will also proclaim to the world. After God's remainder, he, they will also proclaim it to the world, God's peace. Galatians 1, 11 through 12. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to men, for I neither received it from men, nor was I taught, was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so one who is not a student of God or, or learning from God will not be able to accept the promise of God which he has offered through his apostle. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Second Corinthians 1.20 Not a single promise can be received by a person by himself but from the person that God has placed and not one who is voted for or one who places himself. Considering that the discipline of the peace of God, we in real time are studying it on Sundays, we uh, confirm the ability to enter the inheritance of God's peace. We will read a place of scripture, Luke 10, 16. He who hears, your, hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Luke 10, 16. This is not the only place of scripture that you would be able to build on, but this is an, a sufficiently strong doctrine, strong place of scripture, that not a single person can receive the promise of God by himself not with fasting or prayer or studying the Bible, but only by the preached word of God's delegated one, when a person has prepared their heart to listen and is a student. The second component identifying the beauty of the feet of the person that is sent by God is presented in upright joy that can only be obtained by the righteousness of faith and being dressed into the virtue of a student. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We know that upright joy is one of the three elements that identify the atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven in the wise heart of a man that abides within his heart in the format of the fruit of the spirit which is why such a person possesses the lawful right to present the discipline of upright joy as the consistency of his heart bring good news of joy means delivering a message of a king offer the teaching of good news of the gospel to direct you to the good path to teach you royal etiquette how to come to God as a king, to present the doctrine of eternal life, to be a carrier of the atmosphere of upright joy, to be salt of the earth and a light of the world. This is what it means to bring good news of joy. Good news itself is the news of the kingdom, the gospel, the kingdom, of the grace of God, the teaching, instruction, and doctrine, offering of teaching, learning, and 
teacherhood. Psalm 68, 1 through 4, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad, let them rejoice before God, yet let them rejoice exceedingly, sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol him who rise on the clouds, by his name Yahweh, and rejoice before him. Psalm 68, 1 through 4. And so upright joy that abides within the heart of a man by con the confessions of his heart gives God a, a grounds to, to pretty much let our enemies be scattered, let them flee, and so forth. The third component identifying the beauty of the feet of the person that is sent by God is presented in the proclamation of salvation that can be received in the heart of a person again by the righteousness of faith and being a student of the Lord. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Mark 3, 14 through 15. The twelve disciples that are the apostles delegated by Christ to preach salvation are the personified symbol of the twelve teachings, elementary teachings of Christ and the symbol of the twelve walls of the New Jerusalem. The word salvation in Hebrew first identifies the inner essence as well as the symbol and form of God himself as the savior of his nation who carries in himself uh, adoption, help, eternal life, deliverance, protection, well-being, prosperity, joy, and peace. This is how this word is interpreted or explained. To preach of salvation means to call, to call people, to shout, to proclaim, to read out loud, to call, to name, and give a new name. And my, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age. And so when it's saying not wisdom, but the power of God, the power of God is the sermon of salvation that is in the power of the Spirit. This is the expression of the faith of the heart and the friendship again of this Urm and the Thummim of the two forms of wisdom. <clears throat> However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the age for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor heard ear has heard nor have entered into the heart of a man the things which God has prepared for those who love him but God has revealed them to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things yes the deep things of God 1 Corinthians 2 4 through 10 <clears throat> and so when he says we preach among those who are mature that means to the church when we preach the, the mature the perfect hear it the immature 
uh, see the power, but they don't. But the perfect, the, the mature, pay attention to the wisdom. A person who is immature is not able to receive God's wisdom, but he does feel the power, and he and he see and he sees that it, it possesses power. This word. If you notice, when Jesus preached, people didn't understand what he was saying, but they felt that it it had a power. The words that he spoke had great authority and so the character of a shepherd he will speak with authority and the scared scribes will say this is dictatorship no this is anointing this is uh, authority of the authority of God the fourth component identifying the beauty of the feet of the person that is sent by God speaks of the reign of God or about reigning of the grace of God within the heart of a person and such a royal seed of the priest's word contained, containing in itself the order and structure of the kingdom of heaven is able to re be received within the heart only by hearing the word about the kingdom of heaven that can reign within the heart of a person by the righteousness of faith when he is dressed into the virtue of a student. Romans 5.21 So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.21 Speaking of the reign of God is expressing and speaking the thoughts that are contained in the heart in the form of the virtue of the word that is able to rule over us in the name of God. People in whose heart God reigns, that is the grace of God reigns, are people who are able to rule over themselves and to direct their feelings. The reign of the Holy Spirit within our heart as the Lord and Master of our life can only happen only after by the instructions of faith we cast off of ourselves the old man with his deeds which on practice means we will die for a nation for our house and our corrupt desires afterwards by the instructions of faith we will renew our mind by the spirit of our mind which is the mind of Christ within our spirit or our or our precious person and by the means of our renewed mind we will allow the grace of God by the confessions of right righteousness of the faith of our heart to for Christ to reign within our heart as it is written John 1 1 through 3 he will speak you will speak that God has reigned in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made and now I will read a little bit of a different version in the beginning there was the word but it, in the original it wasn't logos but the thought I will read how it sounds correctly in the original in the beginning was the word in the format of a thought and this word in the format of a thought, thought was with God and identified the essence of God. This word in the form of a thought was in God and everything through this, by this thought began and without the thought that wasn't expressed into, the word, into words, nothing was made that was made. And so in order to call forth life from the dead minerals, it was necessary for God to proclaim or pronounce, announce what he was thinking, God was thinking in his 
heart, by which all things began and without which nothing was made. Genesis 1, 1 through 3, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And to said, when it says God said, is expressing, speaking, doing a work, a voice, an explanation, so forth. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew 12, 35-37. When a, this person who is sent by God will speak of how God reigns, you will be able to speak it as well. We more than once note that uh, idle words are the confessions of God's statutes with, his, with, with your mouth, but are not within your heart. And so a person, such a person, is called a sinner. Psalm 50, 16 through 21. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? So when you hear it, you depart from it. Pretty much you separate from it. You pretty much uh, make it nicer. You, 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 when you saw... When you saw a thief, you consent, consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. You gave your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother and slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Psalm 50, 16 through 21. A person with good, a good heart is a person in whose heart there is a collaboration of the thummim in the format of the teaching of Jesus Christ and the Urim, which is the Holy Spirit, and his words, when he proclaims them, then become equal in power as the words of God. Speak the things that are in your heart, don't be silent. Speak what is in your heart, then don't be silent. When you're driving, when you're washing something, don't just think, but proclaim, speak of the things that are in your heart. Don't leave these thoughts unspoken. While God did not speak, nothing happened. God had a thought, but while he didn't speak, nothing existed. Did nothing happened, but when as soon as he began to speak, uh, something began happening. It's interesting that the words of man are a unique net that he pretty much creates for himself. And independence of the nature and spring of his confessions, this, this can be a net of the devil or the net of the kingdom of heaven into which a person then is caught. People say, the devil caught me, but actually a person catches himself into these nets they create. The spider skillfully grasps with his hands and is in king's palaces. Proverbs 30, 28. Eight. This spider, if he would have remained in the way that he was, he would not have been able, he would have perished where he was. But he waits next to the door, and as soon as he feels that there is a flow of air and someone opens the door, he flies in with the air. 
Many holy people don't have success in their faith because they don't collaborate their faith with the faith of God that they accept into their heart, but collaborate their feelings with their feelings and don't express the things they heard, who God is for them or what God has done for them, but what they feel and what has been taken from them and that they broke their car. Or they often also collaborate with the rules of man. Collaborating your faith with the faith of God is expressing obedience to the faith of God, calling the not-existent as existent. Proverbs 6.2, you are snared by the words of your mouth, you are taken by the words of your mouth. Proverbs 6.2. And so the sign that identifies within our heart upright joy is our ability to speak of the reign of God within our good heart and proclaim the faith of our heart, that God is our King. I'm sorry that I uh, took a little bit more time today. We will bend our knees now and pray. And this is our opportunity, and we don't always have such an opportunity to pray. And thank God that he has given us the opportunity to hear these great words, these words of proclamation, of good news, of joy. And we will speak, we will confess the faith of our heart, because God intends to dress us into his new person by, by the means of our confessions and not the things we think or feel, but the things we speak, hearing the faith of God, and may God bless his inheritance now and forever, and may all weaknesses and sicknesses be cursed in his nation. May the Lord, the, the person of the Lord, rise up, and may he begin to proclaim the power of God and may he not say that he is weak and unable because he's strong in the Lord. May the Lord be blessed in the confessions of his people, the confessions of their faith, and may the Lord give his strength and show his power in these chosen in the chosen remainder to show the beauty of his bride. May your word be blessed, the Lord, of our powerful Lord. May your glory not be dimmed in the heart of a person inside of this of, of your people into whom you've placed your urim and your thummim. We thank you, Lord, for your holy ones that continue to persistently use all of their power, all of their energy and ability to place their heart into the heard word. And, of course, it, for this, it is necessary not to have a intellectual mind but a good and a good and humble heart that the human mind can't understand may the heart of your children be blessed may it be not hard but soft and may the blessing of God be within these hearts we thank you we glorify you God of heaven that you have covered this from the foolish and have revealed it to your children this was your will we worship together before your throne upon this place together with your people our great God Son and Holy Spirit Amen our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.